Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, a professional chef and a cooking teacher by your side. I'm hoping that the next hour of in depth culinary information will be a revelation to you, and that I'll share the recipes that you're looking for for quick, easy, fun, and delicious meals. I am your culinary coach every Sunday, inspiring you to be a better cook and covering everything from food trends to the top chefs to travel, a little bit of tech here and there, and more. I'm sharing culinary wisdom with culinary information that abounds. So if you want to be a culinary genius, well, then I hope you'll stay tuned. This is the hippest, the hottest, and the coolest culinary conversation on the radio, I like to say. So whether you love to cook or just love to eat, you are bound to find something you'll love on this show. We have culinary experts and visionaries coming up, tips, tricks, and techniques to make you the best cook you know. And I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well at Chef Jamie Gwen. So did you know that there are approximately 8,000 varieties of apples in the world? Even if you tried a different apple every day, it would take you nearly 20 years to sample the entire spectrum. But how much do you actually know about apples? Well, certain apples, of course, we know are best for baking and other varieties are most ideal for applesauce or eating out of hand. So before the winter season, when apples are really the best comes to a close, I thought that I would review the most popular apple varieties that every apple eater, an apple lover rather, should know about. And then, of course, how to cook them, my best recipes, and when they are in season. Now, apples are available year-round because of the use of cold storage and controlled atmosphere storage, but they're really at their premium come mid to late fall and through winter. And I believe that they're best when eaten in season. Apples should always be firm to the touch and their surface should be free of blemishes and bruises. And pretty apples, however, are not always the tastiest apples. Those brown stripes that you see on an apple and other fruit as well are actually called sugar lines and they can be a virtuous sign of sweet flavor. So be sure to look for them. Now, apples ripen 10 times as fast at 70 degrees than they do when they're chilled. So refrigeration is absolutely necessary to maintain the quality of an apple. And unlike so many other fruits and vegetables, which are really better at room temperature or left on the counter, apples are better kept chilled. And of course, we all know that apples turn brown or oxidize when they're exposed to the air for any length of time. And an acidulated water or an acid-based water is what's usually used to keep them from browning. But I will tell you, alternatively, I like to use something other than bitey lemon juice or the juice of a lime. Try pineapple juice. It can be uh, fresh or it could be canned. I think that it's the ultimate way 
way to keep an apple from oxidizing without changing its flavor profile from the bitey lemon. With the pineapple, you just get that sort of inherent sweetness that comes through. Now, three medium-sized apples make a pound. Who knew, right? Well, now you know. I like to call that unnecessary dinner party conversation. And during the height of pie making season, which has since passed, of course, you'll find plenty of apples that are tucked into buttery crusts. But there's a particular technique during the cold winter months that I happen to love that really amps up the fruit's flavor. And that is is poaching. Now, if you've had a baked apple memory from your childhood that you're reminiscent about that brings wonderful, warm thoughts to your mind, I will say that poaching apples or simmering them in a spiced liquid until they're soft and aromatic is a wonderful way to round out the texture and the flavor of the fruit. Now, uh, at a recent visit at August restaurant, Chef John Besh, an incredible talent in New Orleans, the pastry chef there, her name is Kelly Fields, simmers a variety of apples in cranberry juice. And I had not tried it before because when I poach apples, I think poached pears, red wine, okay, substitute apples. But this beautiful dish had apples poached in cranberry juice with sort of a crumble on top of gingerbread and then this beautiful pink peppercorn ice cream. Now, even if your version isn't so refined, poaching fruit is really easy to execute at home. So in a pot, you bring your poaching liquid, anything from juice to wine to a boil, and you add the aromatics, the earthy spices like nutmegs and cloves, and then you sweeten the liquid as you like with sugar. You can add a bevy of different spices or flavorings. You can vanilla poach. You can ginger poach. You can throw in pieces of candy ginger for flavor. The possibilities are endless. And then you just plop in the peeled apples and you let them simmer in a covered pot until a paring knife poked into the apple goes in easily and comes out. But make sure that the fruit isn't soggy. It takes about half an hour. And then you remove the apples or the pears with a slotted spoon and you top them with a big scoop of ice cream and you have all of this deliciousness. Now, if you did take them out and you refrained from ice cream and you went, let's say, the Greek yogurt root, you would still be eating clean and lean in the new year. Um, I think the flavor is extraordinary. The color is bright and vibrant. And I think there's something playful about reinventing the childhood favorite, the memory of a baked apple we've all always loved, of course. Now, when it comes to the kind of apple to use for poaching, I love a Honeycrisp. My favorite apple is definitely a Honeycrisp. It has streaks of red and green. It has a a juicy, crisp flesh. It has a mellow flavor, and it's good for everything. You can eat it raw, or you can use it for a wide variety of cooking methods. Now, I happen to also love the Jonah Gold. It's a cross between a Jonathan and a Golden Delicious. It has red streaked yellow skin and a white flesh. And then if all else fails, look for a Rome Beauty. It's a red apple, but it holds its shape very well during cooking. And then of course, if you live in the Northeast, 
I love a wine sap. So be sure to send those apples my way should you come across them. And now you know the best apple to pack in your lunch, the best one to poach. Um, And don't forget to use them in every capacity. I like to saute apples and caramelize them with shallots to serve over pork chops. I love a winter salad of mandolin-thin shaved slices of apple and fennel with hazelnuts and some fresh herbs and a simple sherry wine vinaigrette. And then, of course, there is the tartatan. Speaking of tartatans, posted at chefjamie.com this week is my Think Like a Chef feature. Uh, My goal to make you the best cook you can be and to teach you the methods, the preparations, the simple techniques that will make you a better cook in your own kitchen. So I've waxed poetic, hopefully, on how to make a classic tartatan in my Think Like a Chef feature because no matter how perfect or imperfect it looks on the plate, the French apple tart is something that came directly from heaven. I mean, tender apples in a deeply caramelized, sugary caramel sauce. I mean, how how bad could it be, right? Don't be intimidated by the flip. I've given you the best tips you need and know that your tartatan is supposed to be rustic and topped with some tangy creme fraiche. I guarantee it is a total win. So check it out. The classic tartatan recipe posted at chefjamie.com. A few other things there you won't want to miss as well this week, like my weekly dish. It's a winter panzanella salad. If you love a bread salad, you'll love it even more with roasted butternut squash and crispy Brussels sprouts and crumbled blue cheese and toasted hazelnuts. Oh, I've made myself hungry. That is a winner recipe, a killer one, in fact. So please do print it out and store it in your recipe file. You'll also find a quick fix recipe for cold nights that's just delicious. It's a simple tortellini soup. And because I'm on a salted caramel kick, and by the way, you can make a salted caramel tart to tan. I've posted a salted caramel espresso martini to make sure that you have a cocktail to toast with. And please stay tuned. Don't touch your dial because this is really a show filled with grand guests. I am delighted to welcome back my good friend Tyler Florence to the radio, Food Network host and very talented chef, restaurateur, winemaker, and so much more is sharing his philosophies on food and cooking coming up and his new cookbook inside his test kitchen. Plus, Christine Kidd is stopping by at the end of the hour. She bakes gluten-free and her goodies totally satisfy So don't touch your dial. There's more delicious conversation right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'll be right back. Life, create, and savor yours. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Welcome back. I am so proud to call this gentleman my friend, and I am always so delighted when he stops by to dish. This summer marks 19 years of his presence, his teaching, and his fabulous food on the Food Network. He is Chef Tyler Florence, and he has delighted us by sharing the sights and sounds and flavors of his unique culinary vision 
for that many years, all around the globe, in fact. You can find him hosting the great food truck race and food court wars on the Food Network. Now he's mentoring home cooks on Worst Cooks in America, the ugliest pancakes I've ever seen, Tyler. But you'll also... (laughs) Thank you you for that introduction. Worst Cooks in America was a really interesting show to shoot. No, I I wasn't sure if it was kind of on brand for me you know like i, right. I don't know i didn't want to like host like the worst cooks in america <laughs> um but uh, but once we started diving into it you know i, I uh, began to realize once i started talking to producers that a lot of people connect with that show because they they they're really that bad in the kitchen as well and and when someone is willing to stick their neck out and risk you know exposing themselves to the country as as a you're a really bad cook. Sure. They can identify and sympathize with that. So it's actually been a very successful show. The show launched 45% over Seasons 5 premiere. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's at Hubbard around like a two-share, which is really great for cable. I know it might be two inside baseball, but, but the numbers have been fantastic. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, so, so I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm really proud of it. We, we did a great job with the show. We had, you know, a, a fantastic team of people, and mm. and, and we, we we took we took it all the way to the finish line. It was it was great. Mm. Well done. I wasn't yeah. finished um, uh, raving about you, so wait, I have to go back a, a second. Um, for those that don't know, you will always and often find Tyler behind the stove at what is my favorite restaurant in San Francisco, his first eponymous hot spot called Wayfair Tavern, and it is the fried chicken that I believe makes you a star. Um, Of course, having graced this show before, um, we know that you have written 13 cookbooks thus far, but it is the recent release of the new cookbook entitled Inside the Test Kitchen that I love. So ladies and gentlemen, a gentleman himself, and oh, what a talent, as you've just heard, Tyler Florence is here. Okay, now I've said everything I want to say about you. Thank you very much. Yeah, so the Test Kitchen is really... You know, our brand pushing forward. We're we're really excited about this new area of discovery that we think is very important uh, to a lot of home cooks. And that's just a big question mark: why? Why things work out? Why do things fail? And and to not really you know take it to a place where people don't understand the food science, like molecular gastronomy, but to really kind of take it to a place where you know you develop a recipe where fried chicken turns out perfect every single time, and right. when you know why, you know what you're doing wrong, and you'll never do it again. And and so you'll have like a clear path to success. So so we've you know uh, we we dive into um, straightforward cooking and really analyze it for what it is and a lot of recipes are wildly inefficient a lot of recipes take too long to cook a lot of recipes are too sort of finicky in a way towards the very end and, and we, we, we just want to strip strip the content down to its pure form and see if there's another path uh and we, we've uh discovered a lot of really interesting techniques like spatchcock and turkeys you know last thanksgiving kind of set the world on fire and we were talking about that before anybody yeah. and uh you know we when we put that in the cookbook the whole thanksgiving chapter we, you know, it always, it's always astonishing to me that every, every year when it's Thanksgiving, people um, approach the information around Thanksgiving like they've never heard it before, right? So every year you can't give enough information on how to cook a perfect turkey or how to roast something or an interesting technique because every year, you know, it, it's, it's like the Super Bowl of the American home cook. So they're really trying to pull out their A game. Um, and we cooked turkeys for two weeks, and we documented so many different techniques. We smoked it, we fried them, we roasted them. You know, we we, uh, we the 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 least successful turkey recipe we made was actually the the butterball recipe that we just pulled straight offline. 
and and made that from scratch. And, and, and How yeah, interesting. I wanted to use the most popular uh, you know, information that's out there and then really figure out where people go wrong with it. And, mm-hmm. and the, the recipe is just, the, it's not even the recipe, it's the, it's, the, it's the pure idea of putting a 16-pound bird in an oven and roasting for four hours is a disaster. Right. It no. just doesn't work. Because the bone weight to, to uh, protein ratio of a turkey is so high, the, uh, turkeys are so bone dense that you're not really cooking the, 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 the turkey itself as much as you're cooking the bones, right? So when, when, so you, you, you take this turkey that you roast for four hours, right? And if you read all the, all the, the, the safety content, like you have to put a, you know, an uh, insert thermometer into the thigh if it reads 170, then it's cooked all the way through. But what happens to that point once the bones are already cooked, the flesh is just destroyed. I mean, right. the, the turkey breast is just, it, it, it feels like puffy cotton in your mouth. It's terrible, right? It's true. So we decided to see if we could lighten it up a little bit. And by that, sort of taking the bone weight out of the bird. So, so we, we uh, there's an old classic uh, English butchering technique called spatchcock where you take, you know, either uh, a cleaver traditionally, but more now it's just with a pair of kitchen shears. And it's super easy. It's about four cuts on each side of the bird. And, uh, and, and once you take out the spine of the bird, you actually create more of a flat surface. So it, the bird has more, um, more cooking surface to evenly distribute heat through right. instead of this big, fat, bone-dense ball that, yeah, that so more smart. often than not might even be a little frozen in the center. <laughs> in the center, places, right? right. Which I think is very smart, by the way. I love dispatchcock. And I love, by the way, that the book, it's a constant cooking lesson. It's about the the method. It's about understanding and getting to know your food. And I think if you understand the dynamics of the recipe, then you're much more so guaranteed success. I think so. Uh, when, when you get into it, and we're not afraid to fail in front of people, and it's not that we fail necessarily as much as we we fail intentionally, uh, because if, if we you know if we think that there's a, a better version of this particular recipe, we'll make it and make it and make it and make it and make it again until we get to something that we feel is just perfect, right? So, you know, the, 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 the um, success is built upon the pillars of failures, right? So it, w- w- once you have an idea or a lead or you can imagine it looking and feeling and tasting like this, that's enough for us to go, okay, so that didn't work out. Let's document the whole thing and, <laughs> and, and push it 5% more this direction. Try, and try again. Come up with, even if it takes us a week, right? So, yeah. So that, that to me is just sort of like this new level of discovery that, that I'm, we're super excited about. Oh, I think and it's I, fabulous. I think a lot of people are going to get so much, so much great, great, uh, inf- useful information out of it, right? Yes. Because, it, like, if, like I'll, I'll give you another example. We, we invented this dish called one-pan lasagna. Oh, yes, I read it. It's awesome, right? So, so when, when, you, when you have lasagna, right, so, so you have to go through the traditional technique of, you know, you, you boil the noodles and you put those aside and you mix ricotta cheese together and you have this sort of, you know, either like a bolognese-type sauce or you have tomato sauce and ground beef and you layer this with mozzarella cheese and you layer this whole thing together and you put it on the table and you start to cut into it. And what does that cut look like once you get on the plate? Uh, it's oozy, right? A sloppy, gooey mess. Okay, so th- this this is my thing about it. So if you've got to put that much labor into it and it doesn't read with the final cut, so it doesn't, like, come out perfect, what's the point of stacking all this stuff up in the first place? It just takes too long, right? Right. So, so we ended up, like, you know, uh, using all the same ingredients, right? So it's, uh, it's carrots, celery, onion, garlic, uh, really good olive oil, um, 50-50 ground beef and pork, uh, into the bottom, mixed with the mirepoix, and then we add really good samurzano tomatoes to that, and a little bit of little bit of chicken stock. So we make this, we make a a soft, loose tomato sauce, and let it simmer, and then uh, and then season that. 
And then if you take um, um, uh, lasagna sheets, especially lasagna sheets that are designed to, uh, that are no boil, that the, they, they just go in from a straight bake, the ones yeah. that are you know, cooked and then dehydrated. If you sink these into the sauce, right? So if you take, just take a, like drop them into the sauce, and so you need a fairly kind of wide mouth pot to work with, right? But something that can go into the oven and straight to the table. You can sink the, the lasagna noodles into the sauce, and what happens in the sauce, the, the noodles will begin to cook in the tomato sauce and then suspend in a very specific place. So this, this to me, <laughs> like, is, is kind of like where if, 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 a, if a recipe is inefficient, it turns people off, and they're not interested in cooking. So, so the, you know, the the idea that, that we're trying to create inspirational recipes and inspirational cooking, I think, is is just half the battle. Pause there, Tyler, because I love your passion. It's one of the things I have always loved about you and Tolan, because your wife and I have a long history, too, and I would really like to dish some more. So we need to take a quick break. When we come back, he is Tyler Florence, and we are always learning and with him, by the way, we're always eating, too. So stay tuned. There's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. We're back as the delicious conversation continues, and we're dishing with Tyler Florence. He is the Food Network host you know and love with almost 20 years of presence on the network and many more than that, cooking uh, his most amazing and ultimate dishes. That was the first show, and I loved it, Tyler. And of course, his 13th cookbook, having just released, Reinventing the way that you think about your favorite dishes, updating comfort food like no one else. The book is called Inside the Test Kitchen. And we left off talking about lasagna and turkey. And I can't wait to make Parker House rolls with parsley garlic butter. And, oh, that looks so good. Thank you very much. And so, so you know, um, once you dive into the book, yes, um, I, think, I think the book looks and feels different than anything else uh, out there right now. It and does. Again, we, that was a, an artistic choice to go specifically very low-fi, right? But also kind of high-tech in the same same way. I shot the entire book on an iPad. Did you really? I love I love the, the muted look almost of the photos. It feels very real to me. It's not bright light. It doesn't, and I mean this with all due respect, it doesn't look like a team of like 80 photographers came in with shadow boxes and spent 17 hours shooting one onion ring. It looks doable. And I love the handwritten notes. Those are great. That process drives me crazy. Not yes, that me too. Some very successful books and amazing relationships with teams of people. Uh, and, and who knows, maybe we'll do it again. But, but I, 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 there's a sort of a sameness, a generic, n- neutral, nice look that yes. cookbooks have today that I, I can't agree. really tell them apart anyway. So we wanted, we wanted to make it about the laboratory, and we wanted to make it uh, feel that it was completely in context with the conversation and not, you know, so here's, you know, here's this method step by step, and then when we chose to shoot it, it wow, all of a sudden looks like 
you know, it's uh, 545 by a pool in Malibu yeah. with, you know, that perfect little drip of dew coming off a glass of Chardonnay. Like, it just, it's just not my thing. Not that it's not beautiful, but I just, I just, I don't believe it. I don't buy it. Right? I th- because I, first of all, because I know how to do it. And it's just, it's just, it's just like, it's just trickery. I mean, it's, just, it's like, it's advertising photography, right? I agree with you. By the way, Tyler, I, I think that there was a radio interview you and I did years ago that you were actually sitting at a pool in Malibu. Do you remember that? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. I, I remember that. Yes. Yeah, life is, life is good. Yeah, life um, is good. Life is, you work hard for that, but life is good. Um, but to, but to, this, I, I, I think this new kind of level, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, like less celebrity, more chef, please. It is chef, and, please. And, and really kind of get into the, the, the cooking aspect and the technique aspect. And so uh, Food & Wine Magazine chose Inside the Test Kitchen as one of their favorite books in 2014, and they, they, they picked 25. And, Congratulations um, you know, to you. A, yeah, well you deserved. Much. It was a Williams-Sonoma bestseller, and, and, and so, so we're, well we're just really excited about it. And it's really cool. It is. It's a super cool book. And I love that these recipes are recipes that apply to home cooks. They're the recipes that you make at home with Tolan and the kids. But the test kitchen itself is used as an incubator for everything you do. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I am an incredible Wayfair Tavern fan. I feel like I'm in your kitchen, the best muscles I ever had. You're touted as the star chef that makes the best fried chicken ever. And for those that haven't been to Wayfair Tavern in San Francisco, it's an incredible sort of aura too. You're sitting in um, what feels like an an old brownstone, right? And I love to sit at the bar. And I feel like when I read your menus, they're ever evolving. And that is the culmination of the test kitchen too. So you sort of get the combination, like you said, it's chef please. You get the combination of um, cutting edge restaurant dishes, but you also get the food lovers paradise that we all try to recreate in our own kitchens. Um, you know, our, our, our test kitchen uh, speaks, I, I think I feel like it speaks a couple different languages, right? So when, when my colleagues and I kind of get together, uh, our chefs from our restaurants, and, and we start to dream up what next season's menu is going to be, you know, we, we try not to put like version 1.0 on the plate just because I know there's a better incarnation of that flavor profile. So we, you know, we'll take uh, a flavor profile with a piece of protein that's sustainable and, and seasoned with something that I feel kind of fits the brand, and then we'll make it five or six times in a couple of different ways until we perfect the experience, right? And mm. then so what we've been able to do is put, you know, less clunkers on, <laughs> on the menu. Cause sometimes, because we, when you, you know, we flip the menu over four times a year, so one thing is going to be the most popular and one thing is going to be the least popular, and, you know, you certainly find that out. Uh, when you go into sales reports after a month, but yeah, quickly, yeah, quickly, and so we 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 try to try to make make sure that what we're putting on is the best expression of the season and the best expression of our interpretation of that particular concept or idea, hmm. and it and it, it really takes a while. So it's not just we don't shoot from the hip, right? We really kind of dive into you know perfect in a way. So so that that experience. Uh, really, uh, you know, transcends the menu and even the restaurant, and it creates a, uh, an emotional connection uh, with you on a deep level. Yes. And, and that, that to me, is, is when you're really talking about the high art of cooking. Um, and, when, and when we start, you know, creating content for, you know, enthusiasm, it's, it's, it's DNA, but it's just a different language, right? And, and so we're not, we're not, you know, when we get together, it's sometimes it's like cop speed, right? So we can, we can sort of riff and move quickly through and navigate uh, a, a mystery um, with, with a particular dish. 
and and but we it's in a much more high tech way. Like it's like sous vide techniques and sears all and like and, and meat glue and these things mm-hmm. that are just like sort of a deeper toolbox. But when we yeah. when we say okay, that's the restaurant content. But when we start diving into uh, you know cookbooks and things like that, it's like we we always approach it from a solution. Right, like so, Oriented we'll take place, a poll in the sure. office and ask everyone uh, uh, who, who likes to make risotto, hmm. and See. nobody nobody likes to make it, but everybody likes to eat it, right? Right. So then, then you, okay, let's go. Okay, why do you not like to make risotto? And everybody says, like, I just don't want to stand over a pot and stir for half an hour, mm. and 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 I'm like, okay, I can fix that. That's, that's fair. <laughs> yes. So so we we'll we'll, we'll make risotto and and as a chef you just you, you kind of get into the, like the you geek out on the on the on the on the method because you kind of perfect the method and you don't really realize that it may be kicking the ball over someone's head who's not so adapted at that particular thing just because you know like you and i we've, we've been doing this our whole life so it's kind of nothing but but for someone to understand the nuances of uh violoni nano versus aborio rice and how they bloom and it, it's it's just it's different. So so we said okay, let's 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 simplify the whole process. We, we made a traditional risotto, mm-hmm. uh, starting with you know minced onion and fifty fifty olive oil and butter, and you saute the onion, and you throw in the rice, you add the white wine uh, to break the exterior starch coating on the rice, and give it a good stir, and then you start to load in the stock one ladle at a time as it's been traditionally handed down, and that recipe takes forty two minutes to make. Right. And yours? For a plate of cheesy rice. Right. And right? and your new version takes how long? 27 minutes. Okay, I'm in. Tyler, we need to take a quick break, but please stay with us. There is more with the great Tyler Florence in your radio right after this. We have to leave the risotto um, to those that can't wait to bring the book into their kitchen. I, I hate to let you go. I would I would like to dish for the next four hours. Um, we'll but pick it, you'll pick it up some other time. Yes, but, yeah, we'll so pick doing, it up. But, uh, thank you so much for having me on your show again. Oh. Um, I'm such a big fan of yours. And, oh, you're very uh, congratulations kind. Congratulations on getting you. married. It's great news. Yes, Craig and I are going to make our way up um, and can't wait to spend time with you and Tolan. Just tell us with uh, 30 seconds left here, um, what's next? New projects. I mean, we know you as the chef, the restaurateur. Winemaker? Yeah, we have a project tracker with about 27 projects that we're currently in right now. Awesome. Eight companies. Yes, you And, do. um, you know, we, we, that, that, would, that would be a whole show within itself, but we are launching two tech companies this summer, which is going to be a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, we're just, we're just expanding and, you know, we, we, uh, we love our restaurants. We're doing more of that. We love our wine. We're doing more of that. We love media. We're doing more of that. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, we're just trying to stay in our bubble, but just expand and, and be on the cutting edge of what people will be doing in the future. Well, you're doing it with humility. Um, with grace, uh, I will tell you, and with such tremendous passion, it comes through in every word, Tyler. And I've always said that to you. I love that about you. Uh, you are um, on top and you have remained on top and you will continue to be because I believe that that passion is what um, motivates you. And I think what continues to propel your career. And um, yes, we are friends, but I am no doubt thank a fan. You. And I thank you thank very you. much for spending the time and for dishing with us. The new book release from Tyler Florence is called Inside the Test Kitchen, and it is 120 new recipes perfected. It is incredible 
teachings. So do not miss it. You can, of course, follow uh, his next book, his new wine and the opening of new restaurants and uh, the beginning of new television shows at tylerflorence.com. The chef, restaurateur, winemaker, uh, and of course, television personality, product designer, and dad. Oh, and he's a really he's a really great husband too. I know uh, he is Tyler Florence. I can't wait to talk to you again, Tyler. I send my best and hugs to you both. Awesome. Uh, talk Thank to you. you. Thank okay, you so look forward Thank to you. it. Bye. As the delicious conversation continues, it is good having great friends in high places. I'm proud to say that. And I can't wait to dish with you when we come back. Stay tuned. There's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Take a walk on the sweeter side with us, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. After discovering that she had celiac disease and facing significant changes to her lifestyle, Christine Kidd had only one objective, to eat as well as she always had. You see, Christine was the food editor of Bon Appetit magazine for more than 20 years, and she has written five cookbooks now and since about gluten-free living. She is here to dish on the sweeter side with desserts delicious enough for a bake shop display case, but practical for home bakers and sweet twos that eat gluten-free. I am delighted to welcome Christine Kidd to the radio. Christine, glad to have you. Hi, Jamie. It's Hi great there. to be talking with you, and thank you for that lovely introduction. Yeah. Yes, of course. Okay, there's a lot of conversation out about gluten-free eating, and I know that it plagues many, and we've talked a lot about it on this show, but when it comes to gluten-free baking, that's a whole nother world, right? That's, a, to me, flavor and texture at, at issue, really. Do you agree? I do. I think baking is the most challenging part of gluten-free eating and cooking, uh, because gluten in wheat, rye, and barley are so essential to all of the baked goods that we all love. So one needs to discover new flours. And when I made the switch, I was so delighted to find out that there are all kinds of absolutely delicious flours that are naturally gluten-free. Okay, so give us an ingredient primer. Talk about some of your favorites, if you would, because there is a method to the madness. I mean, you mix some flours, and we must touch on sorghum gum as well, because one of the main and key ingredients in a lot of the gluten-free baking recipes that you write, and many that I've seen, include sorghum gum. That's one of my basic flours. It's kind of slightly sweet and slightly neutral, and for me, it it plays off in the role of wheat. I noticed, like in your chocolate chip ginger scones, which look quite delicious, by the way, there is a mix or a blend, the sorghum flour, the potato starch, or tapioca flour, or cornstarch, and then everything else we know as the, you know, traditional components of a scone mixture, the baking powder, the baking soda. There is xanthan gum there as well. So, I mean, it's e- you've made it easy, I will say, for us to duplicate the texture and the flavor for gluten-free baking. And you say that it's pretty hard to to determine, right? I mean, could I feed a gluten-free chocolate chip ginger scone to someone without them knowing? I think you could. Hmm. I think Love any that. of the recipes in this book 
anyone will say, wow, this is delicious. I don't want them to say it's delicious because it's gluten-free. Gluten right. It's delicious for anybody. Okay, so based solely on deliciousness, I am a meringue lover like you. Oh, how I love meringues. There's something that I can justify in eating meringues, Christine. I don't know yeah, why. They're so, they're so ethereal. Yes, they are. And I just, <laughs> I figure, well, there's a little bit of sugar, but otherwise it's eggs, right? And right. You, make, um, you make a fudgy ginger nut meringue. Tell us about it. It looks scrumptious. Oh, it is so good. Um, well, for that, you know, meringues are basically egg whites. And, you know, if you're making custards or something else with a lot of egg yolks, you're going to have leftover egg whites anyway. Mm-hmm. So meringues are a great place to use them. I, uh, For these meringues, I melt some bittersweet chocolate. And then it's standard meringue uh, process where I beat egg whites with a little cream of tartar just to stabilize them. When they're nice and frothy, I start adding the sugar very, very slowly, about a tablespoon at a time. Once I have a glossy, stiff egg white mixture, then I fold in the melted chocolate, and I love toasted hazelnuts in this, and one of my Mm. favorite baking ingredients, uh, chopped crystallized ginger. You will find Christine Kidd's new gluten-free baking cookbook available at Amazon and in bookstores across the country. Uh, there are more than 50 tempting recipes and dozens of variations for gluten-free baked goods from breakfast to indulgent cakes and delicious pies. And no one will ever guess, as she says, that the recipes themselves were made gluten-free. You can, of course, follow Christine and her blog on gluten-free living at Christine with a K, Kid, KK, ChristineKid.com. Christine, always a pleasure. I hope you'll come back soon. Thank you, Jamie. Great talking with you. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. I thank you for listening, and I hope that you'll tune in every Sunday for more gastronomic inspiration. At ChefJamie.com, you can always sign up for my weekly newsletter so that you know what recipes are yet to be posted and what guests will soon grace this program. You'll find a newsletter sign up at www.chefjamie.com and daily updates of deliciousness on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. I'll leave you with this, what I like to call my last bite or my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation. Uh, This past Christmas, my good friend Ida Rodriguez, the corporate chef for Melissa's Produce, gave a beautiful gift of food. It was a homemade vanilla extract. And just a couple of days ago, I came to the end of the bottle. Boo-hoo. And so I was inspired by Ida to do a little research. And if you've ever made your own all-natural vanilla extract at home, well, then you know how unbelievably easy and inexpensive it is. And so I set forth to make my own, albeit it takes about six weeks for it to meld its flavors, but I figure I never need to buy a bottle again. The all-natural vanilla extracts that you buy, I have favorites, of course, um, but they tend to be on the pricier side. So if you choose to make your own, it is easier than you think. Think and here's how. It's a few 
simple steps, really. You need five ounces of bourbon. I prefer bourbon-based or vodka will work as well. And two vanilla beans. And you cut the beans in half and you scrape the delicious vanilla bean essence into a prepared bottle or jar. And then you add the beans, just cut them in half and throw them right in as well. And then you pour over your alcohol of choice. You close the jar, and you put it in the darkest, coolest part of your pantry for about six weeks. Now, you can strain it if you like, but I prefer to leave everything inside and just spoon out what I need with a teaspoon or more if you like. And the extract will keep very well for months. I will post my homemade vanilla extract recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Once again, it's Chef Jamie Gwen. And I hope that you will sit down at the kitchen table with me next Sunday for more fabulous food. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I hope you continue to eat well. Well.